Hello, friends. I'm JP. And I'm Drew, and you're listening to the Broken But Beautiful podcast, where we talk about why church is still worth it. JP, how you doing, man? We're here for our fourth episode. I'm doing great, and I'm excited because, Drew, I'm going to introduce you to some of my closest friends today, Tommy and Becky Holland. I think this is going to be a really good episode. For the last few episodes, we've kind of gone over the meat of what we're wanting to talk about through this podcast, and we've been telling some stories, but they've just been our stories. And so I'm really excited to hear some stories from other people that have spent time in church, that have seen the brokenness of church, and have also seen the beauty of church and can tell us why it's worth it. Absolutely. And as we'll always say in these episodes, we want to create a space for people to share uh, what's broken and beautiful to them. Uh, We want to bring people on that believe church is worth it and kind of listen to their journey. So on this, there'll probably be aspects of every episode that people might not phrase it the way you would phrase it or maybe even have the outlook on everything that you would have. But I think as part of hospitality, we just want to bring people on and just listen to their journey uh, and how they've continued in church as they've sought to be faithful to Jesus. I know that you think very highly of these people, JP, Becky, and Tommy. You were a youth minister at a couple different churches. I have a youth ministry degree that I never used. Uh, So we know the importance of being youth ministers and the influence that they have on the lives of people. But just because these people worked in youth ministry doesn't mean that they can only speak to youth. They've seen so many things happen in churches that are really great and beautiful, and I can't wait for those who are listening to this podcast to hear some of these stories. They've been a rich influence on my life. I thought about this the other day since 1994, so I was part of a blended family growing up, and when I was 16, kind of my new family decided, we probably need a new church for this new family, Uh, and we ended up at the church where Tommy and Becky uh, served in, in teen ministry there. 1994, I'm 16 years old. I never forget, first Sunday, they separated the high school guys and the high school girls into two different classes. I walked into the high school guys class taught by Tommy. There's only one other guy in the class. And I'm like, (laughs) how lame is this? There's no one else here, which was a fluke. Normally there's about a dozen guys. And, uh, I thought this is so awkward. And I remember Tommy said, well, you know what they say? If two or less show up to class, we go to Hardee's. <laughs> and so we got in his car and drove to Hardee's and had biscuits and gravy. And I will never forget that Sunday morning changed my life because Tommy asked me questions about my life and then sat there and listened as I shared my life. And I think I knew then that it was going to be a relationship that really impacted me in a lot of ways. And then Becky has always played such a significant role. Drew, you know how we all hit the awkward stage mm-hmm. at some point? Awkward stage for me was probably 17 years old. Um, and I remember during that time, though, every time Becky would see me at church gathering stuff, she'd always come up, give me that little church side hug, you know, and say, hey, good looking, good to see you. <laughs> and when I was in that weird, awkward stage for so long... Um, still are still are in some ways right (laughs) that meant I can't tell you how much that meant to me their level of vulnerability you're going to hear in the interview Tommy will break down and just start crying at different points and I know some people have been raised in an environment where men never talk about their feelings and men don't cry I was totally raised in an atmosphere where men are spiritual and emotional and public and awesome and I chalk up a lot of that uh, to Tommy 
So uh, I'm excited for everybody else to, to get to hear this conversation. So I, one quick thing, I as we were conceptualizing this podcast, this conversation comes from back in November. I went over to their house one day and interviewed them, and we're going to play excerpts of it, and then Drew and I will make some comments. All right. Well, without further ado, let's dive right into it. Well, I really appreciate you guys uh, doing this today. Why don't we start off you telling me a little bit about your spiritual background, your faith background, growing up all the way until now. Excellent. Uh, my name's Tommy Holland. I just turned 65, so I'm an old Medicare coot now, uh, <laughs> but still feel, wow, college age in a whole lot of ways. Uh, grew up in a preacher's home, so I got to live in the fishbowl. Uh, Around with all the people who wanted to th- set a kind of different standard from what they expected of their own kids, which is really, really hard to live up to. <laughs> and uh, it didn't seem very fair a lot of times. Uh, but at the same time, I, I just got the opportunity to do a lot of things. Uh, I was not a particularly resistant person. I was pretty compliant, <laughs> uh, but yet have never been accused of being too traditional. Uh, and uh, I'll let my wife say a little bit here. Uh, our claim to fame is we're both preacher's kids, and neither one of us have ever spent a night in jail. <laughs> and I always say yet. <laughs> There's still time for that, right? There is still time. I, too, am a preacher's kid. I think the one thing I remember most as a kid, the statement that I remember was, you know, preacher's kids are the way they are from hanging around elders' kids. <laughs> so it never really affected me much that I was a preacher's kid. I I loved God when I was very young. I can remember just always, always wanting to honor and serve Him. And I remember writing, writing uh, on a paper the things that one day I would want in the husband I meet and and um, the the things that I wish the the attributes that I wanted him to have and and that I knew would compliment me and and um and so when I got to college I met that man and we dated for a pretty long time three years more and um, then we we married and but one of the things that she forgot to mention just now is her qualifications for who she wanted for a spouse. We can't, even though we were from the same faith tradition and both preacher's kids and both the oldest in our family and large families, uh, she was from up north around Chicago and I was from down south near Memphis. So what were three of the things you had decided when you were looking for a spouse (laughs) that you absolutely would not have? I was not, under any circumstances, going to marry a preacher. (laughs) I was not, under any circumstances, going to marry a doctor. And under no circumstances was I going to marry a musician. (laughs) So so ironically, of the three, somehow I I got through the gate, even though though I had three strikes against me before I even started. Totally three strikes against Uh, you. So that's always ironic. But... But I say it was only because he was part of each one of those. None of those were our entire job. Yeah, Uh, It was in the days where there weren't youth ministers. There was no youth minister (laughs) school. There was nothing like that. He was going on to be in medicine. And um, when we graduated from college, 
a way for him to get to go to school would be I teach school and he goes to um, med school in Murfreesboro. So we began that journey and the way that we were supported was that he worked with uh, a church in Murfreesboro and we loved teenagers. Oh, yeah. It was just our special spot was loving teenagers and wanting them to love the Lord. Well, and still due to this day and at our age, even though we've got 12 grandkids and two of them are teenagers now, <laughs> so it's like it's come full circle. Uh, I think our uh, perspective is a little bit different from the average youth pastor, youth minister, in that uh, for the my career, I've also uh, had a job, a secular job, as a physician's assistant. I've worked here in the greater Nashville area now for about 45 years doing that. And the unique thing that gave me a perspective was that I got to see people from many, many different religious backgrounds and to develop a deep appreciation. And even though I had uh, been brought up to view them basically as heathens, if they weren't in my faith tradition, mm -hmm. I began to realize really, really early that uh, there are some deep believers with convictions greater than I had seen in my tradition. Yeah. Uh, and when I went off to uh, the PA program here in Nashville, that was it was biblical-based school, but not what I'd grown up with. And within the first month, I heard professors saying things about, uh, please stay focused on this class because... God can use you even in this, what we typically think is a secular uh, position, to be a really, really strong representative. You'll have doors that will mm -hmm. open for you that will not be available to any preacher, pastor ever. And uh, people will feel the uh, freedom to express to you things that they wouldn't be able to express. To. And the reason that really helped me was because, well, both of us went to a uh, public school system. Uh, I was one of the first classes in our little town in West Tennessee mm -hmm. that integrated uh, and got to see that up close and personal and see how you actually uh, flesh that out. So it just, it helps me, it has helped me to see what our kids are having yeah. to go through. Yeah. Uh, the language that's being thrown around, the attitudes that are being thrown out toward the opposite sex. Uh, the, the jokes that are being told that are expected to be giggled at, I mean, that has followed me through my whole life to realize a lot of times adults uh, are just teenagers with a lot of mileage on them. Yeah. Uh, and that's really helped me. And also with all the, the different doctors I've worked with, it was a, a faith-based hospital system, mm -hmm. even that was different from what I grew up with. And it really let me see, oh, these people... They are trying to look at the same book yeah. I'm looking at and figure out how it all fits together, how to be mm -hmm. good representatives of Christ in whatever field, and to realize regardless of your vocation, uh, your calling is much more important than just a vocation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's so amazing. You both grew up as preacher's kids, and now you've been in very rich ministry for 40, 45 years. Tommy working as a PA, Becky, you homeschooled your children, you taught some, but you've been both doing teen ministry for all these years. So you've seen a lot of different types of church situations. You've seen a lot of contexts. And 
I want to start with the broken stuff. We'll work towards uh, the beautiful stuff. But okay. what are some experiences that you've seen that you felt personally that were really hard? Well, I'll think of one. I have one right now. Um, one of our teens in his early years lived with a, a, it's always good just to say broken home. His parents were explosive. And one night he came to our home and he just could not go back home. His father had done something. His mother was hurt and he just really needed he needed a place to stay and they were Christians and he came to stay and that that night ended up with in two years two years he lived wow. with us and my children were all really little but they loved him and they were so glad when he came in from work each day and uh, we got to watch him grow and mature and later on marry and then just the brokenness of his home situation and ending in a in divorce his own marriage ended a divorce, and it was that was a horrible thing for our family. Mm -hmm. um, when you love someone, it just is. It's just um, a sad thing to have that happen, and, mm -hmm. and you have to walk through it and figure it out. Yeah. One of the things I found particularly frustrating is what I call the three to one sixty eight ratio rule <laughs> that. A kid will be in a home for 168 hours in a week and somehow in three hours on Sunday and Wednesday night, I'm supposed to offset that. Yes. And I have oh. never oh. been able to figure out how you get a ratio, you know, yeah. of one to 50 something and make it work. But yet. The the amazing thing is, a lot of times it worked, and you know that's when you know okay this you can't put ratios with the spirit of God yeah because He can overcome situations that seem absolutely hopeless. Yep, mm -hmm. that's so true. Uh, another thing, and, and again, I think my secular job has helped me on this is to realize there are power people, just as there are in medicine, in car sales, in anything. And unfortunately, that sometimes trickles into the church mm -hmm. where people do power plays. But, but I have seen in medicine, there, there's a great similarity between working under what I call a head pastor mm. and working under a doctor. Yeah, uh, These people both are in a position where they're expected to have answers, where they're expected not to make mistakes. And uh, invariably, for a lot of those folks, after they've done that for 20 years, they begin to read their own press release. Uh, so that power component of it that I see in the world has trickled down. The, the saddest quote came from a friend of mine, uh, who found himself in a situation that he eventually was gone from that church uh, in a meeting where a very prominent person who was in the leadership of that church uh, just flat out said, well, around here we operate with a golden rule. And there was a pregnant pause, and he said, by that I mean the people with the gold are the ones who make the rules. And I can remember when, mm. when he shared that with me, I felt like somebody had, had punched me in the gut. Uh, it was just an emotional gut punch to think. So that's where it's come. 
in the church that if you're almighty, then you get to uh, make the shot regardless of if there's a, another way to look at something. So that was very, very disappointing. One of the things dovetailing on that, when I have conversations with people about the reasons they're suspicious of the church or giving up on church, hypocrisy comes out a lot. Experiences with people who said something else, said one thing, but then you discover in their own private lives they were doing something very different. Or maybe even situations of public failures, huge moral mm -hmm. failures. Um, what experiences have you guys had with the hypocrisy of the church? One of the reasons I have not become extremely jaded for that is, as I mentioned, working out in the world workforce, I realize that this tendency is pretty much across the board, regardless of what flavor religion you're in. Mm. Uh, there's, there's just hypocrisy. Uh, there are people who have gotten plugged in at a certain church in their community because they had an auto repair business and they knew there were a lot of people at that church and they all drove cars so they're probably going to help there i mean that just happens mm -hmm. uh, and you realize and i've even realized it um even with sports teams <laughs> the unbelievable hypocrisy that people have once their team starts losing, you know, <laughs> up to that point, they want the bumper stickers, the ball caps, the jerseys. They want to shout it loud. They want to have the little thing flapping off the back of the window of their car. And then they have two or three bad seasons in a row. And all of a sudden, these faithful followers, they take up another hobby. <laughs> so I realized that phenomenon of hypocrisy is in our society in a lot of different ways. Uh, and it took me a while to realize yeah. that. I thought, only in church do you see this kind of nonsense. No, no. that's not true at mm -hmm. all. So it kind of, that's as I've gone through life, that's kind of tempered my view of the hypocrisy kind of thing. And, and truth be, there have been times I've been that hypocrite. Hmm. I get it. There have been times in the privacy of my home, my language has not been what it's supposed to be. And I catch myself, you know, doing the old uh, looking in the mirror and, Sure enough, there's a, there's a little speck in somebody else's <laughs> eye, and then I've got the uh, four by four treated log to get mm -hmm. out of my own eye. So I've been that person, guilty as charged. So Drew, I've known these folks almost thirty years. You've never met them before. <laughs> what did you think? Uh, the first time I met these people was when I was sitting and listening, editing this podcast. My first reaction is that these are really sweet people. And I figured you wouldn't interview them <laughs> if they weren't sweet, nice people. But they're really sweet people who love the Lord and have good intentions. And I think that's great. But I also know that there are some people who could hear that and go, how real is that? Like, how fake is that? Like, I've been around church people who act like that on Sunday mornings but then I go to their house and I've seen, you know, them get frustrated with their spouse or I've seen them mm -hmm. get mad in traffic or something like that. So I hear this and I'm going, these are really sweet, nice people, but they're also real people. Mm -hmm. Like they've walked through brokenness with yeah. people. And it makes it, it reminds me, and I'm grateful for this reminder, that church people are real people. Yeah, Church people are broken people mm -hmm. at the same time. And and to remember that helps me remember that I'm also a broken person. Yeah. And and I I also have brokenness to walk through, but I still have a place in the church. 
Well, and it to me that that section of the interview climax with him saying, "I'm a hypocrite too sometimes." So there's that level of vulnerability and authenticity mixed in with the positivity and the enthusiasm and all that that just makes such a difference. I was really moved when Becky was talking about church life and walking through deep pain with each other. She was telling mm-hmm. that story. And we, those of us that have been deeply involved in church, we know how close you get. <laughs> and then someone gets the cancer diagnosis. Someone's family falls apart. Someone says, hey, I need to share that I'm an alcoholic and I need help. And you start walking with each other through really deep, dark stuff and it's hard and we can sometimes glamorize that and make it seem like it's like it's really fun or whatever but it's hard it's hard to walk through and that's why sometimes we just want to retreat and say man i've got enough tough stuff on my own mm-hmm. becky and tommy were an example to me growing up of you just keep walking through with people through hard stuff and what do you think about tommy's talk on power plays and hypocrisy and all that Man, it was really interesting uh, because you and I have sat in meetings where we've heard comments like that. Uh, those who have the gold make the rules. Yeah. Man, when I heard that story, my heart dropped because you know that person was serious. Yeah, and you know that's a true story. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But to have somebody who has heard stories like that and experienced things like that and still say, I want to be a part of the church, like mm-hmm. I still want to be around these people who can go on power trips and can be total hypocrites. Like I can still be around those people and love those people. I I need those people in my life. And I hope that I can be one of those people. I think being around people like Becky and Tommy growing up and others helped me develop realistic expectations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Part of this is just human brokenness and it's pervasive. It's going to be everywhere. And we should expect more of church. It doesn't make it right. Like we should expect more of church. But we we shouldn't be naive. Like, church is not going to be a group of perfect people. And I think learning that lesson from them and others growing up has made a big difference for me. Yeah, that's great. So we're about to hear from Becky and Tommy some more about what it means to be a part of a church of broken people and the different gifts that people can bring to church and why the church can be a beautiful place to be a part of. So I hear you both talking about the stability that comes with clinging to God and not putting all your trust in people, whether that gets your hopeful disposition or, or Tommy, you talking about just being out in the world and realize this is a universal thing of the human yeah, condition. Absolutely. Like we have a penchant for saying one thing and doing another. And I think that's so wise. I want to transition slightly um i want to hear you guys talk about the beauty of being a part of a church of a faith community and that can look a lot of different ways and you guys are one of my first conversations because i experienced so much beauty (laughs) being a part of a church with you guys in in the mid 90s i was telling my girls stories about that just on the drive over here tell me about the beauty you've seen in church I don't know that I was taught this, but I think I've learned this along the way that the church is people. It's people that are encouragers and discouragers, uh, (laughs) gossips and silence, um, friends and foe. It's all of those things, all of those kinds of people. But um, I think that 
I didn't know early on that we didn't all have to be the same. I mm-hmm. I didn't really understand that God could use someone who was just a giver, 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 giver of everything they had, but they were the grumpiest people in the whole world. <laughs> I didn't know he could mm-hmm. use those opposite qualities, but still that person belonged to him. And, you know, I think somebody's got to look at me that way. Mm-hmm. I've got... I've got faults and and I'm Pollyanna at the same time. So I wish that we had been taught more. Mm-hmm. Even that guy that Tommy mentioned with, that had the gold. Well, you know what? We need people in the church that have the gold too. Mm-hmm. But we need to be careful of how we treat others, whether they have gold or no gold. Yeah. And that all of those are part of the body of Jesus. So. What does it look like? It looks like all those different mm-hmm. things that are good and screwy. To me, the beauty, uh, the one near the top, because my teen years were anything but joyous. Uh, I literally was five foot ten when I got my driver's license. Four uh, foot ten. But yeah, excuse me, four <laughs> ten. Uh, and I had nightmares of the police pulling me over. And the first question they would ask, how tall are you? It's just five. I lied and said I was five foot on my driver's license. And I had visions of them putting me up against a a wall at a mall and pulling out a tape measure. Church was just always a safe place. Mm -hmm. Uh, And music's kind of always been my thing. And it was always an opportunity to lead singing. And, you know, it's sort of like the the Angus Young, if anybody knows about ACDC. He's like five foot four, but when he's on stage, he commands wherever he is. Well, I realize, okay, your height really doesn't, it's not a determining factor on how good you are at helping. If you've been given the the gift of music, you can use that Mm -hmm. irregardless of your stature. And to to have gotten so many words of appreciation and thankfulness all year, but probably the, the pinnacle of what I've enjoyed and felt blessed by in ministry is seeing a 15-year-old who doesn't have a clue of what life is supposed to be like and to see 10 years down the road them in a position of ministry and uh, the baton getting passed. That's just really cool. That's good stuff right there. A really short segment there, JP, but some really good stuff. Uh, what What did you hear? I was really moved when Becky was talking about the beauty is that God takes all these broken people, as she phrased it, the good and screwy, um, <laughs> takes all these broken people and does amazing things with it. Because you look around, you're like, man, if everybody knew everything going on in our lives, we're kind of a messed up group. But then you see how God uses all these people and it's a really incredible process. Like it's a really God honoring thing to see God use us to do ministry and to bring reconciliation to God in the world. It's, I, I thought that was really neat. Yeah. She, I loved that. She said the friends and the foes, <laughs> the gossips and those who are silent, like all of those people can be used mm-hmm. by God. I needed that reminder. Yeah. Um, and then I, I loved what Tommy was saying about he had a place to belong, even though in a lot of ways he might have felt like an outcast. 
So I think there's some of us that might be sitting in church and we're going, I don't know that I have a role to play here Mm -hmm. or a place to belong. Like, why am I even a part of this community? And he said that, you know, I, I may have felt like an outcast, but my gifts, the things that God has has enabled me to do, like I yeah. can use those in the church somewhere. And I think that we need to be on the lookout for those different people who have unique gifts mm-hmm. and how they can be used in the church. When the church functions at its best, it's that place to belong for everyone. Another thing I appreciate about church is it has given me a kingdom view of the world. Mm-hmm. And I so appreciate the country I live in. I've got a red, white, and blue shirt on right now because <laughs> it's just offered so many opportunities I would not have had growing up anywhere else in the world. Uh, but at the same time, my allegiance is first to a kingdom. Uh, and regardless of what happens to a nation, God's kingdom will persist. And it's, it's because of that worldview. Well, Joe Paul, you and I got to go to Honduras because there was an eldership who said, you know, we want to invest in some airline tickets to send these, these high school kids down there to just see what it's all about, to, to see how the pieces fit together and to gain a new appreciation. And not only did I gain an appreciation for the country that I get to live in, I gained, I think, even a better appreciation to realize even in countries who are considered third world countries, they can have a joy that escapes most people in a prosperous nation. Uh, and to realize it's it's not about us as one nation, but it's about us as members of the same kingdom. And those, those friendships just transcend time. Uh, it, it's, it's a different way to look at the world it's a different way to look at people. Uh, when I see the stories of people from Central America trying to get back mm-hmm. uh, to our country for, for a chance at a better life, I've seen the street scenes where you know people are murdered and they don't even do an investigation. It's just it's hard to imagine that happens in our world today. And I got that opportunity because of people of faith mm-hmm. who said, we want you to see what this is about. And, and reality is a lot of times that follows that per- that teenager on into their adult years mm-hmm. where they want to make sure their own kids mm-hmm. have an opportunity. People would often ask me because I would take at least one of our children when they were 11 or 12 and they would say, how can you afford the airline ticket to, to take your kid down there? We know you're not making that much money. And I would say, listen, I have probably saved in Nike tennis shoe money this year to pay for that air flight because sure. my kids got to see people with no shoes or shoes that had been made out of a motorcycle tire mm-hmm. and to realize, okay, they get that. Uh, our daughter one year for Christmas wanted airfare to go back for a winter break. And what I remember so much about those trips when y'all took me down there, I think, I think I got to go three times as a teenager with you all down to Central America. And it was at that point in my life where you're trying to figure out who you are as a mm. teenager and you're trying to, you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself uh-huh. um, yeah. because you're starting to realize the limitations of who you are. And what those trips did for me is I realized how big the kingdom is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I saw 
as great as this country is, when I saw that the kingdom of God was greater than this country, <laughs> it gave me this robust way and of seeing the world, but also realizing what I was a part of. And the long-term effect is just seeing so many other things different. So as, as for example, state of Tennessee has had more immigration in the last 20 years. I think I see that in a different lens because of those trips. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lasting impact. And, and I'm thankful for the church, not only the church that sent us down there, but the church we got to be with when we were there. All right. Well, and I'm going to butcher this quote, but Mark Twain said something to the fact that travel is lethal to prejudice. Yeah. And I believe once you see people in their setting, living, trying to do their stuff, oh, okay, they're not my competition. Yeah. Uh, these are our fellow believers who are struggling to try to put the pieces together in their world. They're trying to do their best as God provides for them to do that. That's that's just refreshing. It really is to see people from other parts of the world. And I'll just kind of dovetail uh, into what I'm going to say now is about 15 years ago, we ended up in a congregation here in the South uh, that's very, very racially mixed. Mm-hmm. And that's extremely rare. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's very rare. For a lot of, in our faith tradition, Sunday morning remains the most segregated hour of the year. I can recall my son had taken his family down to Disney World, and there was a story in the local paper about our congregation about how had a large, thriving Hispanic ministry. Uh, half of our leadership was African American the other half white, and it made the news. And part of me was sad that that made the news. Yeah, That should have been how they all are. Uh-huh. And interestingly enough, that, that story got picked up by USA Today. And I still remember it was on a Sunday morning. I got a call. They were an hour ahead of us. I got a call from my son at 7.30 saying, how in the world did y'all make the front page of USA Today? I had no idea what he was even talking about. Oh, my. And then he explained, he said, I'm in the paper, and there's your church on the front page as an example of how this all works together. And we figured if we tried to run an ad, <laughs> it would have been uh, a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, oh, my. Probably. Wow. And so he knew we didn't have those kind of funds. Mm-hmm. So he said, how'd y'all do that? And I just told him, trust me, there's no earthly explanation. Yeah. How that still happens. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. And that is the beauty of yeah, the church. That is the beauty. And and, and even having though, friends of all that spectrum. That even though so the great. rule is, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. Again, I've seen that in my medical office. There's a couple of ladies, whenever there's a birthday party, they do all the work for everybody else. That, that's just kind of human nature. And when you realize that, it's like, okay, well, well then I want to be part of that 10%. Mm-hmm. Whatever I've got, put me in that group. Yep. Well, you guys... Uh 
you don't look like it and you don't act like it, <laughs> but you, you're in your 60s now. And uh, and I was just showing your daughters how to swerve yes. on a sideways swing. Yes, yes, I was. Still were. And well, I told them, uh, they said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, let me tell you, this was the most interesting house of my teen years. So I think you'll find something fun to do. But um, I'll ask you this question. Are you hopeful about church at this point in your life? As I've sort of, as we've sort of um, morphed from youth ministry in the last six years to music ministry, <clears throat> we've had some amazing opportunities to get to go places uh, I would never dream. This last Sunday we were at something called a, a biker church, and to see that, regardless of what you look like on the outside, there's there's people of all backgrounds needing the love of Jesus. Another thing I think has just helped me have perspective on the world and how deeply they are in need is an event that happened about a year ago and we've got a lady who's an assistant manager at our local grocery store about my age but she smokes at every chance she gets an opportunity and being in medicine the idea of someone hurting their body and then paying good money to hurt their body just it at so many levels it just mm. drives me nuts Surely she knows better than to do something that's hurting herself. So I sort of had my little sermonette all planned out, and uh, I, I was just waiting for the time. I went a time or two, and she was she was actually behind the counter, and was not out out front smoking. And then finally, it happened. The night I was waiting for, or not dreading. And as I'm walking up to her, I've got my little spiel, the whole thing about your body's a temple, don't abuse it. And then I just went up. I was still in my scrubs from the office. And I just walked to, up to her and I said, you look like the hardest working woman in our neighborhood. Thank you so much for all you do to keep things running like they do around here. And I gave her a hug. And now every time I go up there, she expects a hug. I gave no lecture. And I'm still, I'm not planning on doing a lecture. Yeah. I'll let God take care of that. But that's looking, okay, you know, it's so trite. What would Jesus do? But for that moment, I thought, what would he do? Mm -hmm. Is this a time to do your, your thou shall not smoke sermon? <laughs> no. It, the positive, another positive thing about church, it just lets you see people in a totally different way from even what my professional training would have me see. Yeah. This is a person, this is a child of God. And it just changes how you see things. I got that from church. And I've just seen an almost an explosion in the last several years of people being very intentional of reaching out to people who aren't your quote-unquote typical church folk. Because mm. I really think one of the apostles would have probably been a Harley rider. <laughs> probably would have been Peter. Uh, it would have been your truck drivers. And your short order cooks, the, that, that lady behind the counter at Waffle House. Mm -hmm. And to realize it's getting a, a lot more organic. It seems like there's less competition, maybe less turf wars for any individual denomination and more of a focus on folks who are totally clueless. They just know there's a, a God-shaped hole in there. They don't even realize it's a God-shaped hole. And they're willing to go into places that traditionally churches hasn't gone and reach out to those kind of people. And I found that, I found that very Jesus-y. Yeah. <laughs> very yeah. Jesus-y. Well, I appreciate you all uh, taking the time to, for the conversation oh, today. Yeah. Anytime. And uh, 
for how you've been church to me. Well, I was doing the math on the way here for 26 years. You've been church to me in some way. <laughs> and the girls were out of school today, so they're tagging along with me. And they're like, whose house are we going to? What are we doing? And they, they love to ask me. So they'll say, Dad, how come you know so many people? <laughs> and I always tell them, when you have a church, you yeah, know a lot of people. And it, it piles up over the years. And it's... It's good time. So anyway, yeah, thanks for taking true. the time today. I appreciate it. JP, I'm grateful for these people that have been in your life who have such a broad kingdom mm-hmm. vision. Outside of just their immediate church body that they're a part of, it's bigger than their neighborhood, it's bigger than their state, it's bigger than their nation. They are excellent examples of what it means to be a part of the larger kingdom of God. And I think that's to have people in our lives that point us back to that, that widen the broadness of our scope, that Mm -hmm. are able to pull the blinders off of what we're able to see. I'm grateful for people like that. That was my favorite part of the interview, that last segment we played there. And I tell you, they're huge mentors of mine growing up and then... I've been in ministry now 20 years, and so I go over to their house to do this interview, and it builds up to that point where I say, are you hopeful about the church? <laughs> and part of me is hoping, oh, I hope they say yes. I hope they say, and I knew they would, but it, I can't describe to you how comforting the time at their house was to know that it's not perfect, but we're on the right track because, and Tommy ends it this way, because we know who Jesus is. Hmm. Because we know who Jesus is. Yeah. So what you've heard in this episode is that there are good people in the church who can occasionally be hypocrites or can occasionally go on power plays. And they can be a part of that brokenness in the church. They can contribute to it, but they're also a part of the beauty mm-hmm. of church. And that as they're a part of that church body, they have the opportunity to influence people like you, JP, to be a part of the larger, broader kingdom of God. And for us all to be invited into that larger, broader kingdom, that's an incredibly enticing invitation. One that I hope that I'm extending to others and that I'm grateful when I'm invited into that. Absolutely. Well, it's been good to be with you all this week. Thanks for tuning in.